I'm here with uh, Father James McCurry. He's a Franciscan friar conventual of the East Coast uh, province uh, and East Coast of Canada. Is that correct? And I know, Father, you gave us a retreat a few years ago, and I remember, and you've been to the network uh, in the early 80s, talking about St. Maximian Kolbe's Marian consecration. Um, first, tell us about your first trip here. You were a young friar. Oh, my gosh. It was right after the canonization of St. Maximilian Kolbe in 1982. And Mother Angelica invited me to come and be a guest on Mother Angelica Live. Mm. Um, in those days, the studio was the garage <laughs> of the convent. <laughs> all the sisters were engaged in the work of the early years uh, of Eternal Word. A television network. So they had like a lawnmower in there and a oh, weed wagon. They still, they still had the fishing lures from when the sisters used to support themselves by making fishing lures wow. and selling them wow. to the local fishermen. Wow. And uh, Mother Angelica uh, made a point of taking me into the crypt to visit the tomb of her mother, mm -hmm. who had become Sister David, mm -hmm. uh, one of the sisters here in Alabama and old Sister Veronica, who had been the formation directress of wow. Mother Angelica up in Ohio. Yeah. She was here in a wheelchair at the time. Mm -hmm. the, um, the rules had been somewhat relaxed mm -hmm. for the sister's enclosure mm -hmm. um, because uh, visitors like myself were allowed to go inside the enclosure mm -hmm. and give spiritual conferences to right. the sisters inside their own home. Mm. That was during an experimental period mm -hmm. where the bishop was allowing uh, some of the enclosed orders to experiment with a different understanding of cloister. Mm. And uh, it was just a different world in the early 1980s. But Mother Angelica was fascinated by the figure of the newly canonized St. Maximilian Kolbe mm. and, and his great love for Our Lady and for the spirituality of total consecration to Mary. So she asked me to speak to the sisters in the convent about mm. that and to speak on the network and mm. one or two of her uh, live interview programs. So that was the early 80s. And then I came back in the mid-80s uh, to do a 13-part series on Mariology. By then, the new studio, the first new studio, had been built, hmm. and uh, that was recorded in the new studio around the mid-1980s. Uh, Mother Angelica and the sisters were all still very involved here in Irondale in the day-to-day -day production work of the network. Mm -hmm. And uh, later on, of course, the rest is history. And right. uh, I remember, um, of course, coming in my Franciscan habit with the Franciscan cord, the sisters uh, were wearing a modified Franciscan mm -hmm. habit at the time, but after seeing the cord with the three knots symbolizing the three vows, mm -hmm. the sisters persuaded Mother Angelica to let them start wearing a Franciscan cord again with the three ah. knots in it. Mm. And uh, that um, became the beginning of the renewal of their own adapted habit right, uh, right. to a, a more traditional Franciscan habit that mm -hmm. eventually was fully adopted by Mother and the mm -hmm. sisters 
uh, after they moved to Hansville into mm -hmm. the cloistered life about an hour north right. of Irondale. And how did you get involved with the Marian consecration of Maximin Kolbe? When I was a young friar out for my fraternal apostolic year mm -hmm. between philosophy and theology studies, not yet ordained, mm -hmm. this would have been in the early 1970s, I was assigned to teach at Father Colby High School, which our friars administered in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And since I had all the freshman boys at the high school, it was an all-boys school, uh, the principal asked me to instruct them about the patron of the school, Father Colby. And uh -huh. uh, he had just been declared blessed mm -hmm. at the time, blessed Maximilian Colby. So I found a biography, uh, the earliest biography in English mm -hmm. of Maximilian Kolbe by uh, Maria Vinovska mm -hmm. called Our Lady's Fool, mm -hmm. renamed The Death Camp Proved Him Real. <laughs> and I had all the freshmen of the whole high school read that oh. biography. Uh, I discovered that uh, I might have problems managing these young men uh, because most of them were from very rough backgrounds, mm -hmm. and I had very little experience in teaching mm -hmm. uh, high school lads. So I made a bargain with St. Maximilian Colby the first week that mm -hmm. I was teaching in this inner city high school. And my bargain was, Maximilian, I'll work for your cause of sainthood if you keep an eye on these rambunctious lads <laughs> when my back is turned. So uh, he fulfilled his part of the body. It turned out the lads behaved very well in my classes. And uh, uh, I had put no time limit on my side of the bargain. So as mm. it turned out, um, uh, 10 years passed, and I worked for his cause of sainthood from the early 70s until he was uh, declared a saint in 1982. Mm. And in the course of my working uh, to promote his cause for sainthood, of course, I promoted his message, which was primarily the message of total consecration mm. to Our Lady for the sake of building up the kingdom of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, uh, for the conversion and sanctification of the world. Right. So that became my preoccupation as I returned to theology studies, was ordained in 1977, mm. my province of the Franciscans asked me to oversee our Marian apostolate of the province, which was the apostolate of promoting total consecration mm. to Our Lady and the movement that Maximilian Kolbe had founded, mm. the Militia of the Immaculata, the Knights mm. of the Immaculata. So for a number of years before the canonization, and after uh, I was designated by the Franciscans of my province as the promoter of Our Lady, the director of the Militia mm. of the Immaculata, the advocate of uh, total consecration to Our Lady for the sake of the kingdom. Eventually, I was given the job for the whole United States, all of North America, for 10 years of being the national director of the Militia of the Immaculata. I got involved 
with the Mariological Society of America oh. and for a term served as president of the Mariological Society. Mm. Uh, no great shakes for them that they had a little nobody like <laughs> me uh, uh -huh. as a director of the militia, president of the Mariological Society, mm -hmm. but all of it was part of God's plan uh, mm -hmm. that I be one voice among thousands of Franciscan voices throughout the world mm -hmm. promoting consecration to Our Lady for the sake of the kingdom. And how do you, when you teach on it, how do you describe that consecration? What's the essence of it? I like to point people to the scene on Calvary mm -hmm. described mm -hmm. in chapter 19 of the Gospel of John, mm -hmm. where we have our Lord hanging on the cross and a little company at the foot of the cross with Our Lady standing strong at the foot of the cross mm -hmm. and Jesus from the cross looking at his best friend, the beloved disciple John, uh, saying uh, to John, uh, behold your mother, and saying to Mary, behold your son. Mm -hmm. And our Lord's death wish as uh, he takes his final breaths was that John representing all of the apostles and basically uh, the whole human family mm -hmm. uh, would have the courage to entrust himself to Our Lady so that she could work in his life um, the fruits of redemption mm -hmm. that were being won by Jesus's great loving sacrifice on right. Calvary. So right. I always like to think that consecration um, is nothing more or less than entering into a relationship with Our Lady. Mm. Uh, that was Jesus's desire for the whole human race to have. That mm. He gave his mother, not just to John, but to all of us, mm -hmm. to be a mother to us, to help us to uh, become better members of the church, better human beings, and mm -hmm. better um, uh, suited uh, for building up um, the kingdom of heaven in mm -hmm. this life that right. Jesus died to establish. Yeah, I, I think, if I could put it this way, um, uh, somebody once asked the great Marian Apostle, Father Patrick Payton, mm -hmm. um, what was the nationality of Jesus Christ? And Father mm -hmm. Payton, with his tongue in his cheek, says, well, of course he was Irish. <laughs> uh, what other young man in his 30s would still be living at home with his mother, <laughs> a mother who regards her son as God? <laughs> well, in a sense, that's what yeah. consecration is. Mm -hmm. We're living at home with Mother Mary, mm -hmm. uh, with Mother Mary, who knows that her son Jesus is God. Mm. And uh, the closer we get to Mary, the more she lets us see Jesus Christ through her eyes as God and love mm -hmm. Jesus Christ through her heart and will. Um, so consecration to Mary is getting close, relating to her so that she can share with us her perspective on Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So she can share her faith understanding of who Jesus is and share her love mm -hmm. for uh, the son who she knows to be God. Mm -hmm. And yet, yeah, it reminds me, I've heard some Mariologists talk about it 
I don't know if they use this word, but yeah, like that idea of sharing too, that we can share in her receptivity to all that the Lord's done for her, the grace she's received, that she helps us open up our hearts to have faith to receive these gifts of salvation and things. Is that... I think, I mean, some people could say that um, these great Mariologists in the history of the church, mm. St. Louis Grignon de Montfort, St. Maximilian Colby, you can go all the way back mm -hmm. to some of the early fathers of the church, to, to St. Francis of Assisi in the Middle mm -hmm. Ages, that these great Marian teachers in the church um, exaggerated. Some right, people right. could charge that. And Maximilian Colby would always respond, well, don't, don't blame me, blame God for that. Mm -hmm. God is the one who asked Mary as a human being, though preserved immaculate, from the first instant of her life in the womb of her mother. Yeah. So she had a perfection about herself that God gave her in view of the role that she would play to yeah. carry the second person of the Trinity in her womb, mm -hmm. to nurture and mother him after mm -hmm. his birth, and to accompany him in his public ministry. That God's uh, asked Mary to play a role in helping Jesus be more present in the life of the world not just during the lifetime of Jesus, mm -hmm. but even from her place now assumed into heaven at his side until the end of time. Mm -hmm. So Maximilian and the great Mariologists in the history of the church would say that God asked Mary to play this key role of helping make Jesus Christ more visible. And mm -hmm. when you and I uh, enter into a relationship with Our Lady, with Mary, um, we're simply doing God's bidding. We're doing what God wants us to do. Yeah. We're acknowledging that she's got a special role mm -hmm. in helping the world see and love Jesus Christ all the more deeply. Yeah. And I love the connection you make with John 19, where Jesus gives us Mary to be our mother, and, and that we're told, like, John takes her into his home. Like, the consecration would be a way to take her into our home of our being, right? And, it's a very good way to mm, think of it, mm -hmm. that uh, when we consecrate ourselves to Our Lady, we give ourselves to her as a child to a mother. Right. Um, uh, we ask her to enter into our lives, but, but vice versa. She asks us to enter into her life. So mm. there's a reciprocity there that yeah. we John entered into Mary's life mm -hmm. at the same time as she entered into his home so yeah. uh, I'd like to focus for a moment though on this Calvary scene again mm. when we use the word consecration the word consecrate it comes from the Latin con sacrare means to um, set aside for a sacred purpose mm. um, the supreme act of consecration that took place on Calvary was Jesus consecrating himself to his Father and the Father's will mm -hmm. and the Father's plan. So consecration in the purest sense of the word is Jesus's high priestly consecration mm -hmm. to his Father, his total setting himself aside for the sacred purposes mm -hmm. of the Heavenly Father, which was basically the sacred purpose of converting and sanctifying 
the world mm-hmm. that God had created. The only person on Calvary, who human person on mm-hmm. Calvary, who understood what Jesus was doing there mm-hmm. on the cross was his Immaculate Mother standing mm-hmm. at the foot. She was the first witness, the supreme witness mm-hmm. to the high priestly consecration of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So she, we could say, consecrated herself to her son mm-hmm. as he was consecrating himself to the Father. You see, there's mm-hmm. layers of consecration mm-hmm. there on Calvary. So at the same time as Jesus surrendered himself totally to the Father, Mary was surrendering herself totally to the Son and through the Son to the Father. Mm. Jesus asked John, surrender yourself to my mother so Mm. that you can enter into her stance of total surrender to me, to Jesus, so that all of you can enter into my stance of total surrender to the Father. So you see what's happening Mm. on Calvary are these layers Mm. of consecration. Mm. John gives himself to Mary and participates in her self-giving to Jesus, um, who draws them into his self-giving to the Father. Mm. Um, It's not an abstraction, it's all interpersonal. Mm. Uh, And everything about our life from the moment of baptism is interpersonal, that at baptism we're baptized Mm. into a relationship with the Father, Mm. with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And at baptism we're baptized into a relationship with the church mm. and Mary as the first disciple, the first member of the church, uh, then has a role in the life of every baptized believer from the moment of baptism. What consecration to Mary does is it intensifies, makes explicit the relationship with Our Lady that has already been implicit in the life of every believer from moment of baptism that Mm. she's there she's engaged in our Mm -hmm. lives god has asked her to take an active role from heaven in the life of every member of the church she's mother of the church so she's mothering every believer in an invisible but powerful way loving way from the moment of baptism when we acknowledge that in an explicit way Mm -hmm. by the act of self-offering, self-surrender, total consecration to Mary, we're intensifying, making explicit something that's already been operative in our lives from the moment of baptism. So the definition again then would be to set aside for these, like the purposes of Mary to to be consecrated to her? Yes, and her purposes will always be the purposes of God. Right, right. Um, Consecration is setting ourselves aside Mm -hmm. for the holy purposes of Mary, which are the holy purposes that God has asked her to be engaged in. Right, right. And is there, was St. Maximilian Colby, was he not satisfied with St. Louis de Montfort? (laughs) He took it a step further, or what is the distinction or difference? Very good question, Uh, Father Mark. Maximilian Kolbe hadn't really heard about St. Louis de Montfort when he first started living and teaching Mm -hmm. the consecration. That St. Louis de Montfort died, I believe, in 1742 or around that time. Um, His great treatise on consecration to Mary was in a trunk 
that wasn't discovered for until about a hundred years later. Mm -hmm. Um, mm. So I may have the date of his death yeah. incorrect, but it was in the early 1700s. Uh -huh. It wasn't until the 1800s, mm. uh, the 19th century, that the manuscript True Devotion to Mary was discovered mm -hmm. and published in French. It wasn't mm. translated into other languages till the 20th century. Wow. And Maximilian uh, only heard about it um, in the 1920s. Mm. After he'd found it, the movement known as the Militia of the Immaculata, mm. which is a movement on consecration to Our Lady. So where did Maximilian first get this mm. notion that it would be good for the church and good for each individual to make an act of personal uh, consecration mm -hmm. to Our Lady? Um, that derived from two sources in his own life. First of all, his Polish roots, that the practice of consecrating and trusting, giving oneself mm. to Our Lady, uh, had a long historic tradition in Poland. Mm. Um, back uh, to the Middle Ages, the early Middle Ages, Poland became Christian in the 11th century. Mm. And from that moment on, we see hymns being written in Polish, the Bogorodzica Dziewica to the mm. Virgin Mary, mm. the oldest of the Polish hymns that Maximilian would have been familiar with mm -hmm. about giving oneself to Our Lady, trusting in her and trusting oneself to her. And uh, the kings of Poland would eventually take off their crowns and, and trust the whole realm of Poland to Our Lady. So mm. the tradition of and trusting oneself personally, and trusting um, your land, Poland, mm -hmm. to Our Lady, was all part of the upbringing of Maximilian. It became part of the national identity. When, when he was born, Poland had been erased from the map of Europe. It mm -hmm. had been partitioned by three empires. And even though the Polish language was preserved in the homes of people who considered themselves ethnically Polish, their country was no longer on the map of Europe, that it wasn't restored until after World War I. Mm. The, uh, and yet, Częstochowa, the great Marian sanctuary in central Poland, south-central Poland, is where the Polish people regard it as the seat of the Polish nation, mm. that the, the true sovereign of Poland was not the Emperor of Austria or the Emperor of Prussia or mm -hmm. the Tsar of Russia. The true sovereign of Poland in the views of Polish people was Our Lady of Częstochowa, the Black Madonna, right. because the King of Poland had given his crown to her and said, from now on, you are the sovereign of this country. So mm. the idea of being the liege man, mm -hmm. the consecrant, the entrusted servant mm. of Our Lady uh, had a rich tradition in the Poland where Maximilian grew up. And the term consecration was used. Uh, the term yeah, consecration yeah. was used. They, yeah. they had a few different terms. They even had the idea of, uh, of the bloodline, mm. the blood consecration uh, to Our Lady. The second um, root of Maximilian's uh, consecration was his Franciscan tradition, mm. that in the Franciscan order, which Maximilian joined, 
which dated back to the 13th century, the tradition of being consecrated to Our Lady has its roots in the founder, Francis of Assisi. He entrusted our Franciscan order to Our Lady to be the perpetual advocate and queen of the Franciscan order. He entrusted himself personally to her at the Portsiuncola, at the mm. chapel of Our Lady the Angels, where he founded the order and where he later died. Mm -hmm. And so in both, and he wrote two great prayers to Our Lady that bespeak her graced singularity in the life of the church and in the life of the order mm -hmm. uh, to which he gave himself. So we have in the life of Maximilian Kolbe as both a Pole and as a Franciscan, we have this tradition of entrusting oneself, mm. donating oneself, giving oneself as an oblation to Our Lady. He uses different words in Polish to describe it, consecration, oblation, mm -hmm. um, entrustment, mm -hmm. um, various nuances of what it means to make a self-offering, uh, right. a self-gift right. to Mary. Um, as I say, after he began that practice in his own personal life as a Franciscan friar and as a Pole, mm -hmm. and he founded a movement in the year 1917, while he was still a seminarian, the Militia of the Immaculata, to promote the spirituality of right. consecration to Mary, it was after that that he was introduced to St. Louis de Montfort. Uh. And he said to his brother, he's writing about the same thing that he's <laughs> teaching. Uh, and uh, and uh, the difference, of course, is that Maximilian, as a Franciscan, uh, incorporated into his whole theology, spirituality, and apostolate of consecration the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, mm. which was proclaimed in 1854 by Pope Blessed Pius IX. Mm -hmm. That was after Louis de Montfort, a century, uh, more right. than a century and a half after Louis de Montfort had written. So Maximilian, uh, in teaching about the consecration, has the benefit of the Church's elaborated teaching and proclamation of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception the apparitions that followed that of Our Lady at Lourdes, hmm. where she says, I am the Immaculate Conception, and links her self-definition um, as the Immaculate One yeah. to the project of building up the church. Yeah. Yeah, and why did that? I mean, that seemed like at the heart of his consecration, right, the Immaculate Conception, and why... Why is it so important when we speak about the consecration to link it to her Immaculate Conception? That's a wonderful mm -hmm. question. For Maximilian, the Immaculate Conception um, is the doctrine about Mary's personhood. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about a real person, Mary, who carried a divine person mm -hmm. in her womb, mm -hmm. um, a real person. Mary, a human person who had a real interpersonal relationship, not just with the second person of the Trinity, the second mm. divine person, but with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And so for Maximilian, 
the mystery of the Immaculate Conception was the key to understand how one human person, Mary, mm. could have an interpersonal relationship with each of the three divine persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And it becomes the key to how ordinary human mm. persons like you and me, through Mary, can enter into a deeper personal relationship with our triune God. So mm -hmm. for Maximilian, that's what consecration is all about, entering into uh, an interpersonal relationship with Our Lady so that she can help us share in the deeper relationship that she has with the triune God, the three divine persons. And can you give us a thumbnail sketch of that relationship to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yeah, that, um, that first of all, um, uh, Our Lady um, is the handmaid mm. of the Father. Mm -hmm. And Francis of Assisi wrote about that in one of his prayers, that mm. uh, when Mary said, Fiat, let it be done to me according to your will, mm -hmm. she was speaking through the angel Gabriel to our Heavenly Father. What was going to be done to her was that she would, at the Father's behest, carry, uh, conceive, and bear and birth mm. the second person of the Trinity made man. Mm -hmm. So first of all, her fiat is to the Father, her yes, her continuing yes mm -hmm. to God. And it's the same God Maximilian would later link um, what Mary said in Nazareth to how God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. Mm. And he said, I am who am. Mm. And Mary's fiat to the God, our Father, who said, I am who am, is her yes. Uh, I'll do whatever you want me to do mm -hmm. uh, for um, your will to be accomplished. Mm -hmm. uh, the second person is the Son. She becomes the mother of the Son. And her mothering is not just her conceiving, but mm -hmm. her bearing and her accompanying the Son for the rest of his life and now uh, assumed into heaven at his side. She's the only um, human soul in heaven uh, who has a body uh, right. except um, at the side of her son. So yeah, the yeah. only human person um, yeah. next to the divine person of her son, they both have human glorified bodies in heaven. And uh, the other insight of Maximilian pertains to her relationship with the Holy Spirit. Mm. That... Uh, just as God the Father sent the Son on mission to this world, after the Son rose and ascended to heaven, the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. uh, at Pentecost. Mary already had a relationship with the Holy Spirit who overshadowed her in Nazareth. And uh, Maximilian then theorized in his theological uh, reflections before he was arrested that Mary until the end of time helps to give visibility to this second mission from the Holy Trinity the mission of the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit mm -hmm. which is the mission of the church for converting and sanctifying the world that wherever we can see Mary the Holy Spirit becomes more visibly active and so they work conjunction. They work in conjunction, yeah, right. 
inseparably mm. linked. Yeah. Um, and even Vatican II, in its very first published document, Sacrosanctum Concilium, paragraph 103, mm. says that Our Lady is inextricably linked to her son's saving work. Well, her son's saving work to the end of time is being carried on by the Holy Spirit yeah. in the Church. So uh, Our Lady and the Holy Spirit had this unique bond. Maximilian uh, Colby went on to theorize, and this is uh, the unique theology that he articulated of the Immaculate Conception, that, uh, that within the inner life of the Trinity, mm -hmm. the Father... Uh, infinitely and perpetually uh, conceives the Son. Mm -hmm. And the Father and the Son infinitely and perpetually conceive the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit. In a sense, the Father generates the Son, mm -hmm. and the Father and the Son together generate the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It's that second uh, movement yeah. within the inner life of the Trinity that we call conception so mm. it's an eternal because there's two that there's, would spirate the holy spirit yeah, yeah. the father yeah. and the son together yeah. spirate uh -huh. um, or conceive the holy spirit so maximilian said that in the inner life of the trinity uh, uh, eternally uh, and perfectly the yeah. father and the son have eternally been conceiving the yeah. third person, the Holy Spirit, he, that basically um, two persons in love, right. uh, the fruit of that love is a conception. Right. So the right. fruit of the love of the Father for the Son, the Son for the Father, mm -hmm. the fruit of their love is the Holy Spirit. So eternally, the Holy Spirit is the perfect immaculate conception of the love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father. Right. This is... This is absolutely uh, sound theology that within the inner life of the Trinity, you can say that the Holy Spirit is the eternal immaculate conception. Right. He's immaculate, conceived eternally uh -huh. out of the love of the Father and the Son. Maximilian then says that in this world, the corresponding immaculate conception who's created, mm -hmm. so not eternal, is the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so she takes the name of her spouse, mm -hmm. that she's the spouse of the Holy Spirit. So Mary created Immaculate Conception, and the Holy Spirit uncreated eternal Immaculate mm -hmm. Conception. The two of them uh, enter into a spousal relationship uh, for the birthing um, of the church mm -hmm. and the um, and the conversion and sanctification of the human race. Yeah. So uh, the that's the theological mm -hmm. part of it. So the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception that had been taught for seven centuries by the Franciscan Order mm -hmm. from the time of our founding, and that after seven centuries was proclaimed by Pope Blessed Pius IX, an official dogma of the Church. Um, that mystery of the Immaculate Conception became for St. Maximilian Kolbe the mystery of Mary's personhood 
in relation to the Trinity and in relation to us. And that uh, she becomes then um, a channel by which we humans can enter into a deeper relationship with our triune God. Yeah. Now, once he begins describing then, so that's the theology of the Immaculate Conception, mm -hmm. the background. Once he begins talking about the relationship itself of a believer like yourself or mm -hmm. myself to Our Lady, at that point, uh, he's talking about spirituality, spirituality. And that's where the consecration enters in, the spirituality of giving myself to Our Lady mm -hmm. so that I can share and participate in her self-gift to mm -hmm. the Lord, to God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, and that then has a ramification in the field of the apostolate, in, in the work mm -hmm. um, that you and I engage, uh, no matter what kind of occupation we have in life, whether lay, religious, priest, whether it's a doctor, mm. a lawyer, a laborer, a washerwoman, mm -hmm. um, whatever be the actual uh, work we do, um, if we're consecrated to Our Lady, that work can be used by her and her spouse, the Holy Spirit, for building up the kingdom of God, for right. building up the church, yeah. to invest ourselves in whatever uh, labors God has asked us to undertake right. in our careers, in our vocations, yeah. um, to do it um, with a Marian consecration yeah. um, helps God to put our labors at the service of building up the kingdom. Yeah. And what I'm thinking about, too, because I've heard talks on the St. Louis de Montfort consecration. I think it's obviously in his writings about, it's right, it centers on uh, the renewal of baptism, right, and the baptismal vows, and that it's helping us to draw more fruit from that, or it's rooted in that. And what I like about this idea, too, about the consecration that, you know, she is, the Virgin made church, right? Isn't that what is that what St. Francis said? Yeah, St. Francis, in one of the two prayers of Our mm. Lady, he calls her Virgo Facta Ecclesia. Yeah. It's a unique term in medieval writing. Right. Uh, the Virgin made church. Yeah. And that she there, like a fullness of the church. I know Vatican II says she doesn't possess all the charisms of the church, but there's the fullness. I, I, I like to think of it like, you know, Jesus did this completed work of our redemption on Calvary and his resurrection, and that we see this completion of the church in Mary, right, that we're being conformed to, to be part of the church, to right, receive this grace and renewal. And it, it's interesting, like, talking, I, I, you know, I remember I was born and raised Catholic, had this conversion experience, and when I learned the term mediatrix of all graces, that's what kind of charged me up to make the consecration, to start praying the rosary every day. And I'm saying, if I want grace to be holy, to be strong, you know, as a young man, you want to be strong. <laughs> I need grace, right? So I'm going to have a devotion to Mary. But it's interesting, like, it, 
you know, it seems like the consecration is not, it, it seems like it's really focusing, conforming ourselves to Mary, right, to receive grace. But, you know, uh, the Second Vatican Council, when it published its great dogmatic constitution on the mm. church, Lumen Gentium, the final chapter, chapter 8, is all about Our Lady. It's the right. longest treatment of Mary mm -hmm. given by any of the 21 councils in the history of the church. In fact, mm -hmm. uh, if you add up everything that the previous 20 councils of the church said about Our Lady, chapter 8 of Lumen Gentium has an even larger content than all 20 previous councils combined. Mm -hmm. At one point in Lumen Gentium chapter 8, it talks about Our Lady as the archetype and image of the church mm -hmm. in all its fullness. Mm -hmm. What do we mean by that? So we're seeing in the figure of Mary Immaculate, we're seeing an image of what the whole church is intended to be. What do we mean? As simply as I can put it, Mary Immaculate is totally free from sin and totally full of grace. Mm. The whole world is destined by God to become freer and freer from sin, mm -hmm. fuller and fuller of grace. Mm -hmm. That's what we mean in a nutshell by right. the building the kingdom mm -hmm. of God. Mm -hmm. That's what we mean by building transforming mm -hmm. the world into a civilization of love, mm -hmm. a world that is free from sin and full of grace. Right. And Mary, in her person as the Immaculate, yeah. is already free from sin, full of grace. So mm -hmm. that's how we can say she's uh, an anticipation, an archetype, mm -hmm. an image of what the whole world mm -hmm. is destined by God to become. Right. Curiously, Maximilian Kolbe in one of his writings from the 1930s, wrote that Mary is the blueprint mm -hmm. of what the whole church is meant to become. Mm -hmm. So 30 years before Vatican II called her the image and archetype, he's using the same type of terminology. Yeah. And again, through the optic mm -hmm. of her being immaculate, free of sin, full of grace, that's what the whole world needs to become. So the mission, the apostolate, the work of all of us members of the church, regardless of what particular occupations we have, mm -hmm. every baptized member of the church um, is uh, asked by God to work towards this goal of transforming the world, beginning with yourself mm -hmm. and your own family and the society around you by your good example, yeah. by your words, by your faithfulness, right. and the, the practice of entrusting, consecrating yourself to Our Lady is a means towards that goal, right. uh, to help you in that mission. Yeah. And I think, too, like along those lines too, you know, we've had this great women's rights movement that certainly has had its errors, you know, but has done much good. And and it seems like at the same time we have this great ecclesiology of Vatican II that seemed like it 
further the ball and you know, teaching the church it's a communion, which I understand is not explicitly said in Vatican II, but certainly the roots are there. But that, you know, you think, you know, because there, it just seems like we've, we've always been struggling about the dignity of vocation of women and that, you know, to understand that women, that the church is fundamentally Marian. And as John Paul said, the Marian dimension precedes the Petrine, the dimension of office, that, you know, we're called to be saints first. They're first in the kingdom of God. And this is the fundamental identity of the church is Marian. And that the vocation of women, part of that, you know, images, brings that to light in the world today, a fundamental calling of man, of everybody. You know, and it's like, I always feel frustrated. I feel like, and you know, that message isn't getting out there. Go back to chapter 19 of John's Gospel. Uh-huh. Our Lord addresses his mother as woman yeah. because uh, she is the woman par excellence uh, whose role for building up the kingdom of God is unique and uh, embraces the whole human race. Right. That uh, right. Our Lord uh, entrusted the whole human race to woman yeah. on the foot of the cross. Yeah. And uh, and to no one else was that uh, right. that challenge uh, given. Yeah. And she's her dignity as the Immaculata is a dignity that's all-inclusive. So right. the woman whom our Lord establishes with this unique purpose and dignity on the Calvary at the foot of the cross right. is all-inclusive. Right. She includes the whole human race. Right. It's a unique uh, way by which Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. as the second person of the Trinity, in his dying moments, uh, gives a dignity to woman that no other uh, religion in the world right. has ever given with such an emphasis. Yeah, and there's this, there's this mysterious quality too that it just like it has to be revealed. Like I'm kind of fascinated sometimes how so many Protestant brothers and sisters miss this. And even it's in John 19, this extraordinary scene, moments before he dies, gives Mary to be our mother. You know, what does that mean? That seems so huge to do that from the cross. But I, I've, I, I think, too, I've come to appreciate, too, that it's, it's like this hidden mystery that needs to be revealed like with the help of the church, almost. It's almost like the nature of women yeah, itself has a mysterious From the nature. earliest days of Revelation, we see uh, hints mm-hmm. being given about this extraordinary role that woman would play that mm-hmm. culminates on Golgotha as the woman of mm-hmm. woman stands right. Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as um, Eve and Adam fell, our Lord in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh-huh. addresses the serpent and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, mm-hmm. between your offspring and hers. And she, he, they, mm-hmm. she and her offspring mm-hmm. will crush your head. Right, right. Then go through the Old Testament and at key moments in the 
uh, unfolding revelation of the Old Testament, we see a heroic woman uh, engaged in the work of crushing the head of the ancient serpent. And we see Judith decapitate mm-hmm. Holofernes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see, um, uh, we see Yael put the tent peg through the temple of Sisera right. in the book of Judges. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this work of crushing the head of the ancient serpent reaches its ultimate moment on Calvary, the place of the skull, right. Golgotha. Right. where the woman stands strong yeah. and is called woman right. by Jesus um, as uh, his collaborator, mediatrix, yeah. co-redemptrix, in this work of redeeming the world right. from its own self-destructive yeah. path yeah. that we saw first etched in Genesis. Now the remedy mm. for the fall of Genesis is again engaging now the perfect human woman, Mary, as our tainted races, soul solitary boast, to use the quote of a British poet. Yeah. Who said that again? That was... Wordsworth. Wordsworth, yeah. (laughs) Now, I was just, I just had a Protestant convert to Catholicism ask me this question about uh, the assumption and I hadn't read the document in a long time to remember, but to me, I think I vaguely remember like, you know, it's a natural consequence of the Immaculate Conception that that she's assumed that she's a model and pattern of holiness, the church's language about Mary. We see the gold, you know, the realization of the church again in her. But also I was wondering about the fact that she is now, as Pope Benedict said, I was struck one time, he said, you know, she's inserted into the life of the Trinity in this complete way to intercede for us. That even like the importance of her body being there, body and soul, I guess the Immaculate Conception that she doesn't suffer corruption, but also like in terms of her intercession, there's a completeness, right, with her being there, body and soul fully. Um, and I guess my question too is like, you know, Pope, Francis just established an obligatory memorial of Mary Mother of the Church, that it's like we have this description, that's too weak a word, but describe her maternal intercession, that she's there in heaven interceding for us, and it's a maternal intercession. God willing, fifth dogma, Mother of the Church, you know. But it, it seems to be, a, I don't know, like a progression that I think that you know, and the Vatican Fathers, you know, called for the Mother of the Church, some statement on that. But I don't know. What do you think the, that the importance of the bodily assumption of Mary there? I think we have to understand mm-hmm. the broader vision of church that mm-hmm. Catholicism presents to mm-hmm. the world. Um, mm-hmm. 500 years ago, um, the reformers um, narrowed the understanding of church um, to uh, exclude sacramental Mm -hmm. mediation, uh, to exclude uh, uh, Mary and the saints. Um, Our Catholic understanding has always been that church is the church militant here um, 
on earth, the church suffering in purgatory, the church triumphant in heaven. It's all the large body of Christ, mm -hmm. the, the, a communion mm -hmm. of believers, whether in this life, uh, in a life of purgation, in purgatory, um, purifying them for eventually getting heaven, or the life of beatific uh, uh, reward right. in heaven. Right. And that the members of this whole body of Christ interact with each other, that there's a communion between mm -hmm. all of us, mm -hmm. among all of us. And uh, so it's with that larger picture of church that we understand the place of intercession mm. that uh, the souls in purgatory can intercede for us. They can't intercede for themselves. They can they can pray for us here on earth. The blessed in heaven, of course, Maximilian Colby said, they've got both hands free. Here on mm. earth, we're hanging on for dear life with one hand. Mm. We've only got one hand, other hand free to help, um, help others. In yeah. heaven, both hands are free. And uh, Our Lady, because of her unique position uh, in the life of the mm. church as the perfect believer, the perfect disciple, the one who was engaged the most perfectly with her son mm. in the work of uh, establishing and building the mm. church, and similarly was deeply engaged with the apostles in the early days of the church, and it spread to Asia Minor. Mm -hmm. uh, Our Lady, fittingly, at the end of her earthly life, uh, uh, was um, assumed body and soul mm -hmm. into heaven mm -hmm. to give visibility mm -hmm. to this aspect of the church, the mm -hmm. broader, wider, mm -hmm. larger aspect that heaven mm -hmm. is also church. Mm. Um, and it's the largest part of the church. Mm. So Mary, at the end of her earthly life, the church proclaimed mm. in 1950 in the papal bull by uh, Pope Blessed Pius XII, Munificentissimus mm. Deus, mm. that at the end of her earthly life, she was assumed body and soul into heaven. Mm. We don't have a grave for Mary on earth. We've right. only got the empty tomb in Jerusalem right. that has been time-honored since the second century as the mm -hmm. place where Mary's body was laid um, prior to her assumption um, mm -hmm. into heaven. What, what does her assumption signify? Right now, she's the only human person. Remember, Jesus was a divine person mm -hmm. with a human nature. Our Lady, the only human person who has her body with her soul mm -hmm. in heaven. At the final resurrection at the end of time, all of the other saints and blesseds of heaven will get their resurrected bodies. Mm -hmm. Right now, the only resurrected human bodies in heaven are those mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ, ascended mm -hmm. to glory, and Mary assumed mm -hmm. to glory. That's why on the back of the miraculous medal, we can see their two hearts side by side, mm -hmm. the two human organs mm -hmm. of their mm -hmm. body now glorified. Mm -hmm. So all of this simply is to represent in as clear a way the teaching of the church that all the blessed in heaven, with Mary as queen in a unique position, right. all of them have an engagement in the life of the church on earth. They're mm. interceding for us. They're praying for us. Mm. They're, they're helping us in whatever ways they can. Mm -hmm.
Well, I actually have to go tape a life on the rock. So, but thank you so much. I, well, why don't you go tape life on the rocks? <laughs> you do such a good job with that. Thank you for giving me this chance to speak and about yeah. one of my favorite topics. With yeah, you. thank you so much. Mm -hmm.